Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Line's good. Right on the button, guys. Right here, Last guys. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out. As a champion, cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Welcome again, everybody. And all is right in the curling world. If you're a curling fan, we got our first Grand Slam event in the books. The Boost National was in North Bay. Kevin was there. We're going to talk about that and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, And I'll tell you what, Kevin, huge highlight on the show today. Huge highlight. Warren Hanson made a mistake last week. Oh, did he? Yes, he did. Yes. I used the wrong word. Mark the calendar. Hanson made a mistake. You don't make... (laughs) You don't make many. Uh, we couldn't do it without our sponsors, Sports Interaction, Nestle Boost, Coyote Tractor, and Goldline. They're all back for a second season, and we sure appreciate them, and we appreciate you listening. Here's what's on the show today. Like I said, the first Grand Slam event was in the books from North Bay. Kevin was there. We're going to get your reaction, uh, Kev, on everything and what you thought, how it all played out, and uh, we'll hear from you as well, Warren, on that. Last week, we talked about the struggles with U.S. curling, uh, and Warren made a statement that it wasn't quite true, and we heard from a curler who wanted to correct him on that. Further, speaking of USA curling, there is some very, very disturbing news uh, that broke last week, and Warren is going to give us all of the details on that. Also, this is kind of cool, announced in September that Calgary will host the first ever Pan-Continental Championship, October 30th to November 5th, and you're saying, what is that? It will now be determined, this event, to get five of the 13 teams participating who will be able to go to the World Championships. So it sounds like if you win the Briar, that doesn't mean you go to the Worlds. We're going to talk to Warren about that. He's got all the details. Also, Hot Rock Topics. The Briar and Scotties were 12 teams, then they were 15, then they were 16, then they were 18. <laughs> Curling Cannon was asked a couple weeks ago, what's going on with all the teams? Pick a number, okay? So we asked them, and uh, they said, not sure yet. We haven't decided. Uh, I think Warren might have something to say about that, Kev. Not sure. Pretty interesting email we got in our mailbag segment from Debbie. Uh, We've talked about this before, about the high cost of utilities, and she writes us an email, and uh, we'll get the boys' reaction to that. So let's get rolling. What's happening in the curling world? The first Grand Slam event of the season took place in North Bay, as we said, the Boost Nationals. It was great. I watched a bunch of it. Uh, Kev, were you happy to be back in the broadcasting seat? 
I love doing the broadcasting stuff. Yeah, I really enjoy it. But the event went off really, really well. I, I want to stay away from the ice for a second and talk about North Bay. Everywhere we went, if we went to restaurants, if we went to the grocery store, anywhere we went to the gas station, they're all talking about curling. The, the, the community really gets behind the events that they have in the community of North Bay. So really impressed with the volunteers. He had a, over 160, 160 volunteers. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So much help. So well run. The ice conditions, which everybody saw, of course, by watching the games, were terrific. Mark Shurik and his crew, they had also a lot of local ice makers helping as well. So, uh, yeah, the ice was just terrific. And you saw you saw how well the players played in the playoffs and, and through the week, uh, especially in that in that men's final was ridiculous how uh, the shots they were making. So uh, really, really good. Now a little bit about the teams, because uh, starting at the semifinal, we had Taryn Zoni taking on Caitlin Laws. And, and Taryn Zoni, they have a new front end. Um, so that's a big deal. Because uh, Esther Nunes-Schwander and Melanie Barbazat have stepped away from the game and, and replaced by Carol Hovold and, uh, and Briar Schwaller-Herleman. And a really good front end, obviously, but uh, it was interesting to watch them. And they're taking on Caitlin Laws in the semifinal. Well, Caitlin and her third, Selena, are both expecting this winter, which is fantastic. A big congratulations to them. Yes, um, Caitlin do around New Year's sometime. And, and Selena sometime in, in around March. So it's going to be interesting to watch that team and how they manage the winter because, you know, Caitlin can only play a little bit longer and she'll have to, you know, shut it down. And does she, is she able to come back? And Selena, she'll play through the, through Christmas, but then when does she have to shut it down? And it's going to be very interesting, but a really, really good team that played extremely well and got to the semifinal and actually came back. They got down 5-1 to a terrific hitting team like Terranzoni and actually came back to 5-4 and then just uh, got edged out. So Terranzoni won that one. Fujisawa, the the team that smiles the most uh, in the in the world of curling, <laughs> right. playing <laughs> team team Anderson. Carrie Anderson with, with Val and, and, and Shannon and Brianne. Brianne Harris now. Um, she got married in the summertime. Used to be uh, Mirror, uh, but now Harris, so Brianne Harris. Uh, Shannon Burchard, uh, the second, actually got engaged this summer. So lots of news, Jim, um, yeah. with, with the teams and what's going on. And then in the final, Team Anderson, I just got to tell you that in the opening, so when we stand up, like Faldzi and, and Joan and myself, we were the three doing the opening. And, and I said, well, one thing you can count on is Alina Petz, that soft touch is amazing, and Carrie Anderson, a tremendous hitter. So that's okay. A couple minutes later, we get in the first end, and there's one rock in the top of the house. Carrie Anderson goes to hit it, flashes it. <laughs> oh, come on. And then, but, but that's not it. That's not it. And then, which Carrie would never miss like that, like almost never in ever. And anyway, right. so then Alina Pets goes to just draw the, you know, throw it in the forefoot. Well, the sweepers pound it all the way down the sheet and just gets to a front biter. Everybody home went, well, Martin knows nothing about these these guys. (laughs) It was so funny. And then on the men's side, uh, Brad Gushu played Corey Dropkin. I know that Warren, I think, picked Corey Dropkin as one of the long shots, and he got into the semis against uh, Brad. But Corey missed an intern tap that was makeable to lie three in the first end would have forced Brad to make a tough draw for one, but he ticked the guard, Brad drew for two, and he just didn't really recover after that. So that was a bit of a blowout. A great game on the end sheet, though, was Nicodine against Matt Dunstone. And Matt Dunstone's got, of course, uh, BJ Newfeld, Colton Lott, other two Tuckers, three Tuckers, 
and Ryan Harnden at lead. They did extremely well. And against Nicodine, they ended up going an extra end, Jimmy, in the semi. Yeah. And then, of course, the final was what a show. What an absolute show, an extra end game. Nicodine had a half rock double on his last one and eight to win the thing. Didn't make it. Brad Gushu, he was a little bit wide on his last one, and it hung on at the side of the forefoot for the win, and the building was absolutely electric. So bravo to North Bay. The Boost National was absolutely fantastic, and we look forward to, in geez, just over a week, Jim, going to Grand Prairie for the uh, Tour Challenge. Yeah, I watched the final because I know uh, Warren and I were talking last night too, and he's going to make a comment. What about a Dean? Was it in the seventh end, sixth or seventh, where he tries that triple uh, and had a way easier shot to sort of guarantee him two. What was that all about? I don't understand that. It was a, just a little one and a half foot bump for two points in the seventh. And I don't understand it. Um, Nicodine, uh, such a smart skip. And, but with his team, with Rasmus and Oscar up the middle, throwing 500 mile an hour, if they're two up going home, I can't see Brad uh, Guju getting three. I can see Brad getting two. And sending it to an extra end. Right. But then Nick would have hammer. And by playing the triple for three, I I guess it it finishes the game. But if he gets two, it's finished anyway. So it's just strange. I I, I, I couldn't believe it was called take take your two. Against Mm -hmm. Brad Goose, you hardly ever get two. So take your easy two, go home two up. I think Nicodine wins the Grand Slam if he just plays the bump and doesn't play the triple. Yeah, he doesn't make many strategic mistakes, huh? Mm-hmm. And especially with angles, being a semi-pro pool player. Right, But right. I th- both Mike and I in the booth, like we, we, you know, we're, we're over top and looking at the angles, and it looked to me like it was a direct jam. I think that's exactly what my words were. And Mike said, well, yeah, it's either going to jam on the side one or it's going to bounce onto the back one. Like, there's nowhere right. else for it to go. And it was just strange. That, right. That's all. But you're right. You're right, Jimmy. And... Uh, it was hard to believe, but it cost him a Grand Slam championship. Right. Okay, Warren, you're on, man. Well, after all that, Jim, uh, I'll be very quick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought Einerson was an interesting team because they played so well at times, and then, like uh, Kevin said, missing a wide-open takeout. And in that entire final game, they seemed to be up and down, up and down, where at times they were brilliant. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but I know they've got the capabilities. They're going to have to iron it out. Uh, Elena Pitts, uh, what can you say about her? Going into that uh, event this weekend, I guess at the final game, she was averaging 92%, I think Kevin, 7 or 11 games, something of that nature, which is for a, a person throwing fourth rocks, outstanding. And then her final score in that final game is 98%. So I think for that team to not do some big winning this year, something's going to have to happen to Elena Pitts. And again, Nicodine, I, I agree with you guys. I couldn't understand that shot, especially when I believe Kevin was the fourth in when he drew from the ditch to get a corner of the button to get his two. That was a spectacular shot. And virtually that was the shot to put him in control. And then to kind of, I, I think, blow it the way he did is, is very strange, but we'll see what they do going forward. Yeah. Warren, uh, did, did you expect a little more rust on these teams for the first event of the year? And, and yet it certainly didn't look like there was much rust. They all looked like they're at their best. Most of them have already played a lot of games. Some haven't, but I think Kevin will confirm that most of those uh, teams are into 8, 10, 11, 12, 15 games already by the time they got to uh, North Bay. So most of them already were well into the season. Uh, you made predictions, boys. Warren, I think you edged out Kevin here. Uh, give us the results. On the women's side, I picked uh, 
Fujisawa, Terrazzoni, and uh, slash Einerson Jones. And I guess all three of those made it into the fours. Yes. And on the men's side, I picked uh, Gushu and Adin and a maybe Dropkin, and two of them made. So I think I did not too bad uh, from both uh, picks. Kevin, how about you? Well, I think I did all right. <laughs> my, uh, my Kaiser pick, who I will pick again. That was that's a really good young team who, yeah, they are. who did fantastic, uh, but they didn't get to the semis. Uh, otherwise, I was good. I picked uh, who did I pick? Fujisawa, Terenzoni, and Kaiser in the men. Dunstone, Gushu, and Flash. Right. So uh, Dunstone, Gushu. Yep. So uh, not bad. Uh, Flash also played really, really well. So you know what I do like to see is a, a whole bunch of these young teams coming up and doing really well. But Warren. You beat me this week. He wins. We'll see yep. if we can get you back in Grand Prairie. <laughs> uh, is that a big event uh, for Dropkin to make the playoffs, Kevin? Uh, it's only the third time that a U.S. Yep. men's team has made a semifinal in uh, in Grand Slam history. John um, Schuster did it in, see, I'm using my memory again here, that's scary, 2016, mm-hmm. and Heath McCormick the year prior in 15. Might have been 15 and 14, okay. but uh, two other times. So he did absolutely fantastic. Yes, it was a big deal for Corey Dropkin to get to that semi. Now, on the women's side, Jamie Sinclair actually won a player's championship. So there has been an American team win a slam, and that was Jamie Sinclair. Warren, I'm on fire. A good Adine take and a good question about Dropkin. This is rare for me. <laughs> the next slam events in Grand Prairie, uh, the Hearing Life Tour Challenge, October 18th to the 23rd. So watch for that. Uh, Warren, we talked last week about some challenges USA Curling is having, and Coach Phil Dropnik got in touch with you to correct you, Warren, on something. We'll give you a chance to fix that up, Warren. What was it? Well, okay, Jim. So Phil sent me a little note, and he said, uh, you said something that really isn't true, and he's right. I, I mentioned last week in the in the show that actually funds from uh, dues from the U.S. clubs goes towards supporting high-performance uh, players in the U.S., and that's not so. The support for the players and the coaching staffs all comes from the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So that wasn't quite right, and uh, more so should have said that a lot of money from the dues goes towards the support of uh, the various events and the administration of the events rather than the actual athletes themselves. So apologize for that, and uh, I stand corrected. Uh, we're going to try and pare this story down for you. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, it's a, it's a disturbing piece that came out this week. Uh, I think USA Today wrote about it and some other outlets. Warren, give us your take on this whole thing. Well, the first part of this, Jim, I'm going to pretty much read it as it has been written in uh, various publications in the U.S. because I don't want to be misconstrued or incorrect. So a story was written in USA Today on October 3rd by Nancy Armour that indicated in October of 2021, USA Soccer hired former U.S. Attorney General Sally Yates to investigate alleged abuse and sexual misconduct in the National Women's Soccer League, known as the NSWL. And these allegations resort back to seven years ago, roughly. And at that point in time, the current CEO of USA Curling, Jeff Plush, was the commissioner of the league. Yates' report was recently released and contained some pretty damning accusations towards many of the people that were involved with the NWSL at the time. On October 4th, the Business of Sport Journal said the following, 
USA Curling is reviewing the report on how CEO Plush ignored, in some cases, helped hide pervasive and systematic abuse behavior in the NWSL when he was the league's commissioner from 2014 to 2017. Yates said Plush did not respond to her team's request for an interview. The United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee CEO Sarah Hirschland, in a letter to the staff, called the findings by Yates appalling. Hirschland also suggested the USA Curling Board is reviewing findings of this investigation as well as the findings of an investigation they done approximately a year ago as well. The USA Curling Association put out a release on October 3rd. I won't get into saying it word for word, but I'll summarize more or less what it said. It pretty much said that they had a year ago when this became uh, into public view that they at that time did a study on what took place worded in the following manner. Through the internal and external review procedures, the board conducted an independent investigation to ensure the former commissioner and current CEO acted in accordance with prioritizing the safety of athletes, and they found this was to be the case. However, the board also called another special session on October 3rd of this year following the UH report and uh, basically said they were convening to further investigate what had taken place with the Yates report and would get back to, I guess, the public with a, a statement. That was a week ago. We've heard nothing. And this whole situation, I guess, it's not unlike what's going on with Hockey Canada today, and, and we're pretty aware of the Canadians of that whole situation. And I, I wonder with Hockey Canada in the same situation here, I think the only way these things are ever really properly settled is they need to bring in a third-party investigator. And yes, USA Soccer did bring in Sally Yates, but I think USA Curling, to satisfy their own needs, needs to bring in an independent investigator to go through everything, to submit a report, to make that report public, and you go from there depending upon whatever that report says. But I think otherwise... There is no way around what they're facing. That's that's the way I see it. Yeah, you know, we we had talked about whether to bring the story up on the show uh, yesterday, and we thought it uh, was a good idea. You know, with, when the Me Too movement came along and the whole culture began to be exposed about bad stuff going on in the workplace, uh, it's come a long way, and uh, not everyone's immune to it, right? So uh, we thought it important. It's it's very current, and and if we can if we can keep it. Uh, in the forefront, we thought we would do it. Warren, great job, Warren, on on uh, talking about that and piecing that whole story together. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Kevin, what 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 are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, I, I haven't stayed quite as in tune as Warren. Warren, uh, he's always uh, wanting to know exactly what's going on with these types of things. But for me, I think the most important thing is getting to the bottom of exactly what occurred. And so an independent uh, review is a, really important, a third-party review. I think that's really important. Get to the bottom of everything so that everything is out in the open and totally known what occurred in every which way. I think, I think that's the only answer. Otherwise, there's lots of guessing and hearsay, and, you know, and, and that's no good. So mm-hmm. get to the bottom of it. I think, Jim, that's the only way that things can move forward in a proper manner, and, and that could take some time, and, and that's okay. We've got time, but make sure it's done properly. Right, I agree. Uh, good job, Warren, on uh, bringing us up to speed on that. Uh, we mentioned earlier in a couple of weeks, the first ever Pan Continental Cup will be held in Calgary. This event replaces the former Pacific Asia Championship and the Americas Challenge, where nations like Brazil, Mexico, were able to challenge with the U.S. or Canada for a spot in the world's women's and men's championship. So, 
like I said, the day of winning the Briar and the Scotties and going into the Worlds is over. That's not the case. The top five nations to come out of this event will have births in the women's and the men's worlds. Here are the nations that are competing for one of those spots. On the women's side, there's Canada, US, Brazil, Korea, Japan, China, Hong Kong, Kazakhstan, and Australia. And on the men's side, it looks like less teams, Canada, US, Brazil, Korea, Japan, Chinese, Taipei, and New Zealand. Some of those names, Warren, to me, look like you don't have a chance. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you probably have some thoughts on this, Warren. Well, I think you say some of them don't have a chance, but a name like Kazakhstan don't necessarily believe that they don't have a chance because they've done some pretty remarkable things in the Asia Pacific Championship in the last few years, so they could be in. But I think the big issue here is, I think it was last Tuesday, announcement came out of the World Curling Federation that China has announced that they will not be sending teams to this event. And sort of the excuse that I heard that was used was, well, it's because of covid But I think at this point in time, that's a bit of a stretch. So who knows what's going on there? But I think the big news is China isn't going to be represented in Calgary, which means China cannot be represented in either the men's or women's worlds in 2023. Hmm. Well, yeah, a couple of thoughts. Um, One, with with the Chinese teams not coming, the, the problem is without going to the worlds, it's hard to get points necessary to be able to qualify for the next Olympic Games. Right. They put themselves without coming in kind of a bad spot as far as getting to the next Olympics. So that, that could really hurt the uh, Chinese athletes. So, so that's one concern from, on, you know, from looking at one thing, a country that's really growing and curling is China. And it's important to have, I think it's important for the sport to have countries like that uh, be represented at, at world championships, at least try, you know, to get to the world championships. So I think that's really important. One thing I did like to see, though, you mentioned that some of these countries don't have a chance. You're right, for now. And, you know, the one thing we can honestly say is that we would have thought that about Italy not long ago. Right. Well, (laughs) that is not the case anymore. Now, all of a sudden, they're podium favorites all the time. So any of these countries that you think are are kind of unusual curling countries, Hong Kong, Kazakhstan, we know Australia plays some, Chinese Taipei, New Zealand, Brazil, so on. Uh, Let's just give them a little time, like get, Mm -hmm. get them into these events, playing against the better teams work on their game, and before you know it, they'll be like Italy, and and it's going to be really hard for teams to to qualify for world championships because there's going to be a lot more teams. There's a lot of countries, Jim, interested in becoming members of the World Curling Federation. So as things continue to grow, more and more countries, these become big events. Like right now, there's not a lot of teams. There Mm. will be. And then it, it, it's going to be really, it's any time there's growth like there is in curling worldwide right now, it's a positive. Is it going to make it tougher for Canadians? Yes. But I think that's a positive too. Sure. <laughs> I think this, this growth is all good for the sport. And uh, so I, uh, I'm going to enjoy uh, watching this event. Uh, Warren, where do the rest of the teams come from? So there's five uh, that come out of this. Where, where are we getting our other, is it eight or nine teams? Is there 13 altogether that are going to play in the Worlds? European championships that are held in December. Seven come out of there, right, Warren? I think seven come out of there. I think it depends on the year. I was suggesting to Jim yesterday, I know there's, there's been a last chance competition that's taken place the last uh, few years uh, that happens after the Europeans, but I'm not sure if that's going to take place this year. Uh, we'll have to check on that one. Not certain. Okay. Uh, watch for that. Hot rock topics. Uh, Kev, I might call this one uh, burning rock topics or sizzling hot rock <laughs> topics. It's about the Briar and the Scotties and... Uh, 
Well, here it is. The Brian and the Scotties have gone from 14 teams in 2015 to 15 in 2016, then 16 in 2018, and in 2021 they went to, or 16 and 18, and then 2021 they went to 18 teams. Uh, in fairness, this decision to go to 18 teams in 2021 was a result of COVID, but that number also won the day in 2022. So now we're almost to 2023, and when Curling Canada was asked a couple of weeks ago, how many freaking teams are you going to have in this thing? <laughs> uh, are, are they going 16, 18? They didn't respond, really. Their decision uh, is going to be made, I don't know, later on, Warren, I guess. Uh, so we don't know how many teams. Uh, let's start with you, Kev, about this. Yeah, isn't this something? We, how many teams should be in a, in a national championship? Well, one thing that I'd like to say, and I was actually talking to Reed Crothers about this on the weekend, and, and that's making sure that all of the teams that are the top teams, the top-ranked teams in Canada, top X, they can pick the number, are all in the championship. We, the idea that there's provinces like Manitoba women right now, uh, Alberta men, where you've got real big depth. But the problem is, is that a lot of them can't get to the national championship, but teams that are in the national championship are ranked far below teams that aren't there because of where they live. I just have a real problem with that. I think we need to make sure we have our top, be it 10 or 12, whatever number they decide mm. in the event. How do we make sure that happens? Well, I, that's, that's always the fight, isn't it? That's the discussion. But when a national, you should have to beat the best teams in, in your country. Mm -hmm. Not because of where you live, but because of how good you are and how much you practice and how much you put into our wonderful sport. I, I think it matters. And, you know, in certain places, like especially Manitoba women right now, oh boy, they are, there's so many good curlers and so many good teams. It's a real shame if they can't all get to the national right. championships because of the system. Right. That, that would be a shame. You know, we'll skip Warren on this, Kev, because he's, he's got nothing to say about it. Nothing to say. <laughs> well, I won't, I won't dig deep into the well because that could take us another hour, but I, w I concur with everything Kevin has said, and I think if they're going to have to make a decision between 16, 17, or 18, make it 18, and for that matter, make it 20, because uh, you, as he suggests, you've got to have those best teams in there. And, you know, I'll, I'll take another look here. Let's look on the men's side. You know, pretty much four of the top, probably top, I would say six, seven teams right now that, that we've seen so far this year mm -hmm. are from Alberta and Manitoba. Crothers, Dunstan, and Manitoba. Cooey, Botcher, and Alberta. And Sturmey, not very far behind those other two. So there's five of the top teams in those two provinces. Yet, under this system, only two of those teams can go to the Canadian Championship unless they make some changes to make that otherwise. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as Kevin said, on the women's side, Manitoba... You've got three teams, Einerson, Laws, and Jones, that are right there, and you probably Beth Peterson, not very far behind. Mm -hmm. So there's four teams right there that all four should be in a Canadian championship. And without Einerson being Team Canada, only one of them could go. Yeah. And yes, you can have that crazy wild card thing where they play one game uh, and one team goes home and the other one stays for the next 10 days, but that's not really the way it should be either. So. I am of the same opinion as Kevin and Reed Crothers. They've got to have all those top teams in the Canadian Championship for it to be a Canadian Championship as we see it today. So I hope they can figure out some way to make that happen. It makes me think of the Olympics, Warren. When you, you watch the bobsled, for example, in the Olympics, there's like 
two, three entries from one country or track and field. You know, you might have you might have four guys who qualified from the States or whatever, you know, so if that makes sense to anyone, what I'm talking about. You always make such good sense, Jimmy. <laughs> to, to some degree, those are more World Cup type events where they do allow more than one entry per country. And I think like in the sliding sports, they can have up to three. But I think, you know, we need to get to that point too with the, with the World Cup concept. So we do have competitions like the Grand Slam that are the best teams in the world, not uh, related to what country you're representing. Before we wrap, let's uh, get to this email from Debbie Paulson. I am the president of the East St. Paul Curling Club just outside of Winnipeg. We have a great facility and are constantly applying for grants and fundraising in an effort to keep our facility one of the best Manitoba has to offer. Our biggest expense each year is hydro. It's closing in on 50 grand per year. The cost is crippling. So many wonderful clubs and rec centers all across the province and country. Have any of you ever heard of a lobby group of curling recreation facilities trying to negotiate some sort of rebate or rate break from a provincially owned utility. Thanks for, uh, thanks for this. Looking forward to another year of podcast. Best regards, Debbie. Uh, that's not the first time we talked about this, Warren. We hear this story again. We've talked about this a number of times. And this comes down again to provincial associations in particular and what they should be doing for and with the curling clubs. And this has, uh, this has been a problem in so many areas for so long where these curling facilities are paying full price for hydro. Meanwhile, the skating rink across the street or the soccer field and the football field in the, in the mm-hmm. fall and winter, summertime, they're not paying those costs. And for a curling club to have to absorb these extraordinary hydro costs is just crazy. And it's going to get worse. And uh, it's, it's a matter of the provincial associations, I believe, lobbying the uh, power authority in their provinces. I think the... Uh, National Body Curling Canada can become involved with as well, that there needs to be a a well-organized lobby to start to deal with the costs that a lot of these facilities are facing with hydro. Um, It's going to put them in in the street if they don't do something about it because they're going to get so high. Right. Kevin, didn't you a year or two ago or longer try and crack a dialogue with EBCOR about this? Actually, with Bobby Popel, the manager of the Thistle Club. I talk about Bob quite often. We're really good friends and and uh, he runs a very successful club we actually talked about it recently within the last month bob and i talked about this again and and but you know what i i really do think now that we kind of went down this road a little bit not much yet but i believe it has to be a provincial or national body getting this ball rolling um it's going to be really tough for uh, you know two or three or four clubs to get together to try to to do this i think it's going to have to be something that starts with be it the Provincial Association or, or Curling Canada. I just don't know how in the world you can get enough momentum with enough clubs, with enough clout to make the difference without the national body being involved. I just, what do you think, Warren? I just don't know if it's possible for a few clubs to make it work. I, I, I'm not sure. I think because the power authority varies across the country, it's probably got to be a provincial matter. And I think the provincial associations are the ones that are very well armored to be able to do it. And, and 
pretty near every case in Canada, they have relationships with the provincial governments because they're receiving funding from them. And so they've already got a foot in the door as to where they can go to start that lobbying. And I think the politicians, I mean, every curling club in this country needs to go to the MLA and the MP and their constituency and start pounding their fist on the table. And for mm-hmm. that matter, city councils. In many cases, it is a city council that can impact uh, hydro in a particular area. So I think in, in all cases, they've got to start screaming, but they've got to get organized. And if, maybe it's the clubs putting the pressure on the provincial associations to stand up and start lobbying on their behalf. But it's the only way anything's going to change. Yeah. It's tricky ground, man, to cover, right? If we get a break, why can't I get a break? If you get a break, why can't we get a break? Well, it goes back to the whole problem with curling over the years. And, and again, it's been this name, club. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the word club is attached to it, they're perceived to be a private entity where all these very wealthy people have come together and they've built this facility. And you're just giving these rich, rich guys another break by giving them a break on taxes or a break on hydro or whatever right. the case may be. And what they fail to overlook is these curling facilities today, the large majority of them are very public facilities. There was a time when there was a lot of combined golf and curling club facilities. There's still quite a few in Ontario, but the rest of Canada, not so many anymore. And I think uh, that's maybe where things have gotten off the track as they're viewed as private clubs when they're not. They're public facilities. Great email, Debbie. Uh, thanks a lot for that. It's, uh, that's our mailbag segment. We do it each and every week. If you'd like your email read on air, just send us one. And Warren reads a lot of them. Insidecurling at gmail.com. Insidecurling at gmail.com. And we'll try and get your email on air. Good job, boys. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Kevin uh, and Warren, our two curling Hall of Famers, World Curling Hall of Famers. We're, we're back each and every week. In-house strategies does a lot of the great work for us on Facebook and our social media. Thanks a lot to Rod Paulson and his company. Also, if you belong to our Facebook group, thanks a lot. We uh, invite you to weigh in there. And if you don't, well, time to sign up and uh, read, read along with all the topics du jour uh, that happened there. Again, email us insidecurling at gmail.com. And to our sponsors, we couldn't do it without them. Thank you to Sports Interaction, Coyote, Boost, and Goldline. Boys, well done. I was impressed with me this week, Warren. I really was. Kevin? No? Not so much. Well, I'm glad you were, Jim, because I don't think we were. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'll be back next week to impress you again, the throngs. See you later, Kevin. See you, Warren. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy the Grand Slam this week up in Grand Prairie. Thanks, Jim. And it's not next week. It's the week after. <laughs> See, I, t- I was doing so well. But you're close. Okay. You're close. You're you couldn't let it go, huh? You couldn't let it go. <laughs> Back next week. Okay. Enjoy the curling in Grand Prairie in a couple of weeks. <laughs>